0: Thanks for listening to the First Take podcast. I'm Simon King, executive editor for First Word Pharma Plus. On this week's episode, I catch up with my colleagues, Becky Simon and Michael Flanagan to discuss some of the week's biggest pharma news stories. We take a look at new data for a promising oral psoriasis treatment being developed by Bristol-Myers Squibb, bring you the lowdown on a tough Q1 for big pharma with sales growth impacted by the pandemic and dig into this week's FDA AdCom meeting looking at checkpoint inhibitor accelerated approvals. So uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb has uh, presented some eagerly Anticipated uh, phase three data uh, for its tick two inhibitor, Ducra, um which looks like it's going to become only the the, the second uh, available oral uh, drug for moderate severe psoriasis. And actually, in the uh, one of the two studies that it's presented data from. Um, was a head to head study against amgens a tesla which is which is the the one available oral drug and it's it seems to be sort of significantly um better um michael I know you were looking at at this story this week it's not quite as simple as that is it um, I think it is that simple right now you know the the- the, the
1: real question is the, the the question coming in was not whether um Ducravacitinib was gonna be more effective than Otesla. It was pretty much well known that it was gonna be significantly more effective than Otesla, which is, you know, is an oral drug and that's why it's used so much. But if you talk to dermatologists, they're, they're pretty much across the board have always told me that it's just not a very effective drug. It's very safe and it's oral. So that's why patients love it, but it's just not that effective. So the Ducravisitinib right now is positioning itself as a far more effective um, alternative to Otesla. The big question is, it's gonna be whether tic 2 which is in the JAK family, whether this tic 2 inhibitor, Ducravisitinib, is gonna have the same sort of safety questions uh, or signals that emerge um, that have been tied to at least Jans on the jack inhibitor side. And so far, so good, I think. You know, the these phase three detailed results that, that were presented um basically supported Bristol Myers Squibb's suggestion that this is different than you know at least Celljan's. Um and the safety profile looks quite good. So you know it's a it's a it's an example of you know Bristol Myers Squibb having to Disprove a negative, you know, it's that's tough to do. Um, we're just sort of sitting here waiting as more data accrues to see whether some sort of signal emerges, and so far, it hasn't. So you know, it's it's a case of so far so good, and dukrasitinib at the moment sounds like it really is as simple as it's just a far more effective alternative to Otesla until something um, derail unless or until something derails it
0: okay and i guess in that respect then the whole ongoing review of the jack inhibitors uh you know which which we've spoken about previously and is going on in the background um with the fda i guess that's something to keep an eye on i guess we i guess you know depending on what they do with the labeling for the jacks um even then we're still not going to know are we until right at the last moment when when bristol's drug comes to the market, and gets approved and gets its label, we're not actually going to know until that point, I guess, how where it stands on the safety front.
1: Yeah, pretty much. You know, I think that the one caveat to that is if FDA comes out and says, you know what AbbVie, uh and Pfizer with abracitinib and well, basically those two. Yeah, we do think that your URIZACs are differentiated on safety. So we're not gonna give you the same sorts of, you know, safety problem, warning label language that is on ZELJANS and has uh, troubled Illumiant from Eli Lilly to a certain extent. If if RINVOC from AbbVie and Abracitinib are treated differently in the next whatever, however many months when these decisions come down, I think in atopic dermatitis, that would be a great sign. For Bristol-Myers Squib, because it would suggest that, okay, FDA is looking at these JAK inhibitors and seeing differences among them. If those, so abracitinib and, and Rinvok in atop dermatitis are treated essentially the same as Eljans, that would obviously be the opposite side. It'd be a it, a bad sign for Bristol-Myers Squib. but they could still, and I'm sure they will try as much as they can to differentiate tick 2 you know, from these other JAKs. Yeah, until we actually see the label, we just never know.
0: Okay, Okay, let's move on to the next topic. Um, sort of first quarter earnings season, um, there were already a couple of companies who'd reported previously, I think Roche and Johnson & Johnson reported last week, but things have really sort of gathered pace um, this week. We've had Amgen, Novartis, uh, Eli Lilly, GSK, Sanofi, uh, and then today, um, Merck and Co. and Bristol Myers Squibb—they've all announced their their first quarter results. I mean, I guess the big kind of takeaway, the big picture takeaway, is it's it's, it's been a tough quarter for big pharma. Um, most of the companies are reporting, uh, you know, flat or, or, or sales declines versus um, you know the first quarter of last year, and I guess that largely um sort of reflects the fact that q1 2020 was you know was 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 pre pandemic just about so in you know but but i wondered if you guys had sort of seen you know anything in particular from the q1 results this week that had sort of caught your attention at all I think it's
2: just interesting, you know, to think of this sort of in the, um, I guess, the dichotomy the of last week. Um, uh, just the companies we're seeing this week are, you know, hard hit, seeing revenue um, impacted by pandemic, whereas opposed to. You know the J and J's and the Roche's can sort of be uh lifted by um different business segments that are also um aided <laughs> by the pandemic, you know, diagnostics for at Roche, for example. Um so just the selection we had uh this week, you know, I guess wasn't quite as um diversified in their um in their business segments to uh, have that same sort of uh, pand- pandemic versatility also.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point actually. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously the other thing, um, I think, you know, Eli Lilly kind of, you know, one of the, they're one of the few companies actually, because to, t- to take a, you know, a step back, most of the companies this week are still maintaining their guidance um, for the full year. And I think it was actually Amgen that said, you know January and February were particularly hard um but we kind of saw things improve slightly in March and we we've kind of seen that improvement continue in, in April so I think there's this kind of expectation that as you know as as presumably and hopefully as the vaccines work you know there will be more people being able to go to you know to to get their medications etc so we're kind of I think you know I think big pharma is hopeful um Lilly was one of the few companies, or I think maybe the only company, that sort of narrowed and reduced its guidance, and actually that was partly down to the fact that um, it's kind of you know caught in the the the, the kind of double edged sword where the, the the vaccine uptake now looks like it's going to uh, reduce um, sales of its of its uh, COVID nineteen antibody products, which it's you know, we've spoken about previously, they've been developed really, really quickly, but just, you know, kind of haven't been needed or used in maybe quite the correct way. Um, And then I think, Becky, to talk to your point again about, you know, the individual sort of uh, dynamics occurring at different companies, um, you know, one of the reasons that Glaxo uh, was hit so badly uh, in Q1 was the fact that people aren't taking aren't being vaccinated you know with 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 other vaccines because they're receiving the the COVID-19 vaccine so they're delaying um use of other vaccines so that was a big hit for GSK um it's also a big hit for Merck & Co today um who basically said um that, that, that they saw vaccine sales decline as well so I think you're absolutely right I think um I think each of the companies has obviously got their own uh little kind of Specific dynamics, um, but like I said, hopefully uh, things will improve over the course of the year. The one thing I did want to kind of raise as an issue, um, Amgen was one of the companies that obviously sort of said it was struggling. They 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 did uh, announce that their KRAS inhibitor uh, will be branded as as Lamacras, Lamacras. It's one of those ones. I guess everyone's got a different pronunciation. Um, but that yeah, that was just something that i I thought was kind of worth um highlighting um and obviously that's that's increasingly looking like a a pretty important uh, approval for for amgen uh in the circumstances um, something else that is obviously ongoing this week uh and is is actually ongoing as we speak, and I know Becky this is something um you know you've been looking at this FDA 3-day uh, uh, adcom meeting um which has been assessing a number of um checkpoint inhibitor accelerated approvals um the the the, the three drugs that it, that have been assessed so far this week uh, for for triple negative breast cancer and bladder cancer the, the the experts they've convened um sort of recommended that the accelerated approvals remain intact what's been your sort of take on on this meeting and and has it sort of surprised you um what's happened so far
2: yeah so um so just for, to to back it up one more step um you know the this whole idea of um you know the the industry having um you know just kind of this the string i guess we'll say of um failure of confirmatory studies Um, In just this huge growth of um, clinical trials for um, checkpoint inhibitors has kind of stimulated the FDA into just saying, okay, we're going to sit down, we're going to look at, you know, all of these at once um, and see if we need to walk back any of these uh, accelerated approvals. Um, that, you know, we first put out, you know, in 2017, you know, in the high tide of um, of PD-1 enthusiasm. Um, so thus far, we've looked at um, triple negative breast cancer with texcentric, excuse me. Um, and then yesterday uh, was Keytruda and texcentric in uh, bladder cancer, both of which just kind of sailed through uh, just fine um, in all of those cases. There was, you know, a relatively easy argument from the um, from the pharmaceutical sponsors to either, you know, point to underserved um, uh, populations, like for um, chemotherapy ineligible patients in bladder cancer, for example, with Keytruda, um, or uh, in the case of Roche for bladder cancer, you know, they have they still have outstanding survival data um, coming up. Um, I believe about this time next year um, from their InVigor program. So it was, you know, very easy for the FDA to sit back and say, you know, okay, we can just, you know, wait for a more definitive data set before we, you know, do anything rash with this approval. Um, So up until today, it had looked like, you know, it had been sort of a tempest in a teapot, you know, for all of the um, thought that had going into this meeting in advance, you know, that FDA might, you know, crack down hard on all of these approvals. um, And that, you know, this is uh, uh, Janet Woodcock in her um, positioning for an FDA commissioner bid, you know, needs to show that she is, um, uh, she's keeping this strong regulatory arm between uh, the public and the pharmaceutical industry. Um, so initially it was looking like, um, you know, this was all just sort of overblown concern. Um, I can say, you know, for a gastric cancer discussion for Ketruda in the third line setting, um, which is ongoing right now, has not been nearly as positive um, for uh, for Keytruda as, you know, some of the discussions have been the day before. Um, this vote hasn't happened yet. Um, so we'll see if that, you know, if the advisory committee um, agrees, uh, with, um, with Peter Marks, who's just who, in his commentary here, just, you know, clearly does not think that k should keep its third line label. Um, now that Opdivo has a first line label and that treatment landscape has changed. Um, but, you know, circa the time of this recording, uh, this vote hasn't happened yet. So, you know, we'll see. So there have been lots of, I guess, uh, ups and downs, um, on this meeting thus far.
0: Okay. I guess th- we, what we've got to remember as well is that over the last couple of months, um, the FDA, without bringing kind of external experts into the fray, um, has sort of uh, discussed with um, a, a handful of these companies that market these checkpoint inhibitors to, to sort of to sort of cajole them into voluntarily withdrawing certain. Um, Accelerated approval indications. I think, up from memory, there's sort of three or four have been voluntarily pulled from the market since um, maybe late December. Um, but that sort of suggests to me that, uh, and I think this is what we, the view we've kind of had from the start is they were very much the the, the low hanging fruit. Um, you know, they were, you know, indications where I don't think these checkpoint inhibitors were necessarily being used that extensively. Um, but I, I think, you know, the point you make, Becky, is sort of, and the point that seems to be made by experts uh, yesterday is that, and the day before, that actually, you know, um, despite the lack of survival data in some of these cases, um, I think, you know, the, these are going to be much harder to to sort of withdraw from the market. Because if you speak to key opinion leaders, they, they certainly think, um, you know, triple negative breast cancer and bladder cancer, I know. KOLs think that these drugs have got a role to play there, um, like you said, partly because there's, there's, there's a lack of other treatment options.
2: Yeah, for sure, it, that was definitely um, a big part of the commentary yesterday in bladder cancer was effectively, you know, the horse is out of the barn, you know, once these drugs are, real, are available to patients, it's very difficult to walk that back and say, you know, no, you can no longer have this.
0: Okay. All right. Well, thanks, guys. And uh, thank you to everybody uh, listening. Um, We'll be back next week.